Why are some no longer gathering with the church? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with a thought. They are under the weight of condemnation and they believe they don't deserve to be in church. They believe they don't deserve to worship and they hold themselves back because they'd rather be under the weight of condemnation than pressing in and admitting. Because that voice isn't always condemnation. Sometimes God reveals things to us. It's actually not condemnation at all. It's conviction. And remember the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction will lead you toward God. Condemnation will lead you away from God. This is amazing grace. Guilt and condemnation are powerful motivators. We see them play out in our culture. We even heap it upon ourselves. What's the answer? Find out as you join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. We're in the book of Hebrews, written in part to encourage us to find forgiveness in Jesus, not religion or tradition. Starting with an Old Testament practice pointing to Jesus, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. The priest would stand before the people. With both hands, he would pronounce, forgiven. And the people would begin to hoop and holler and celebrate. Because if the priest wasn't purified properly, if he went into the holy place presumptuously, his resulting death would signify that they weren't forgiven. So the people always waited to see if the high priest would make it out of the holy of holies. Are we forgiven, they wondered. Did the sacrifices work? Is God pleased? Are we okay? So I love how the commentator now ties it. Let me give you one more paragraph. He ties it in with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is amazing because the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. All of it from beginning to end. One of the richest things you can do to enhance your Bible reading is to look for the pictures and the types of Jesus Christ. They're everywhere. So check this out. He says, don't you see what happened concerning our high priest, Jesus Christ? The whole world was waiting and watching without even knowing what they were watching for. And our great high priest who was wrapped in white linens emerged from the Holy of Holies on Easter morning coming out of that tomb. You say, the tomb being the Holy of Holies? Well, certainly. Remember when the disciples were peeking in the tomb that morning? They saw a bench sprinkled with blood, his blood, where his body had lain. And we are told by the gospel writer that on either side of the bench sat an angel. Remember the Holy of Holies? The mercy seat had two angels looking at one another. And thus the picture of a blood-sprinkled mercy seat was complete. And when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb on that third day, it was the final declaration of forgiveness, not just for a year, but for all of eternity. It's so beautiful. It was more than just walking in and walking out. Like God's work was complete in Jesus Christ. And so as he speaks, he says, look, the, high, the priest did this every year. But in Jesus, it's complete. It's eternal. And that's where he now, he comes to the, the contrast in verse 11. And everything has a contrast. Whatever you're facing today, whatever difficulty is, whatever question you have, it always comes, but Christ. And he says, but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come. 
with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. And mark these words, once for all. The blood of Jesus Christ is available to whosoever will let him come. And it happened once. Jesus isn't crucified over and over again. He gave his blood once for all, having obtained eternal redemption, eternal salvation. It's not the blood of animals, it says, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, Jesus is the mediator, verse 15, of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus' finished work changes you on the inside, not just gives you external worship. See, nothing external will save you. No amount of church attendance, no amount of Bible study, being raised in a Christian home. The kiddos that receive a Bible, you know, as they're reading it, it's going to bring them to salvation in Christ. It's not the book that saves. It's God that saves. It's not a church that saves. It's God that saves. It's not your performance. It's not your good deeds. Nothing external will give you access and fellowship and communion with God. Some have approached the church that says, well, you know, if I just give, can I give a lot? Will that put me in a greater status with God? No, you give a lot because God gave you a lot. It doesn't give you any different status. Jesus made that clear, whether it's the widow with a, half, a couple half pennies or it's the rich guy giving to God, it doesn't matter because the amount is proportionate to what God entrusted to you. And so if you've been entrusted with much and you throw a couple pennies in there, that is not real heartfelt giving. But if you have a couple pennies and you give them both, you've given more than anyone else because it's not your performance, it's your heart. God does the work on the inside. And a lot of you are, are hesitant. Many people are hesitant to respond to the good news of the gospel that your sins can be forgiven because you just really don't believe that God could save you. Like you look at your life and you know that you have difficulties. You know you have problems. Nobody needs to convince you of that. And so you hear the opportunity to receive the forgiveness of your sins. You hear the opportunity that God can change your life. You hear that, but then you think, I don't think so because I'm so bad. Maybe if I So you think you got 10 things that are really bad in your life and you think, you know, if I could just clean up five of them, I'll come back and then maybe God will forgive me. Like like if I just clean my act up a little bit, then God will really forgive me. And so you leave here going, no, not today. I'm not good enough to be saved. I'm more more horrible than that pastor even knows. And and the reason I describe that to you is not just by my experience with others, but that's how I felt. Although not to that degree, like I didn't have a list or anything. But I walked into a church just like this and I sat in a chair just like you and, and I was listening to a Bible study going forward and I was listening to the invitation and I'm thinking, man, I hear what that guy's saying, but it can't, he can't possibly be talking to me. I, like I look around a room and I see thousands of people in there and I think, you know what? The love of God is probably for all these good people, but I'm really bad. Every area of my life I was bad. Like I'm just, I was just a really bad person. And so I would walk out of a room like that going, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I even concluded that I was too bad. I was beyond, I was hopeless. And I just, I held that against myself. I was hopeless. There's just no way it was going to happen. 
Until God broke through and said, no, 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 this is the work of God. God doesn't want you to leave here to go change your life and then come back. He wants you to surrender your life today and he'll change your life. Like God loves you. He wants you to come as you are. He accepts you today. Jesus Christ accepts you as you are. You think you're bad? God knows more about you. You're badder than you think that you're bad. Like you're worse. You're worse. Like you, well, Ed, I'm really down here. No, there's actually a lower place. You're actually lower than that. And God still loves you. And we don't judge you because we've been down there ourselves. We haven't forgotten where we came from. And you don't need to leave here today to go clean up your act so you, you're somehow okay and presentable to God. You'll never get to that place. Even if you're the person that says, I'm a good person, you are still just as separated from God as the really, really bad person. Because God, he doesn't use those categories. It's just you're either a sinner that's not saved or you're a sinner that's saved. Those are the only two categories of people. And it's not going to be outward religion that saves you. Just because you're doing a couple good deeds, it's not going to make you any more presentable before God. See, God receives you and loves you as you are. But once you commit your life to him, he won't let you stay as you are. And he begins the work on the inside. For example, you, you could have a real big deal with, uh, with drinking. You know, you're a drunkard today. You're just, that's, you just can't get out from under it. It's just so hard. Okay, so you can make a decision today. I will stop drinking. And that will be a very good decision. It's a very good decision not to live in that state of being. That would be a great decision. And you could probably do it for a while. But it would be a burden. It would be hard. There would be temptations. It would always be on your mind. It would be very, very difficult. But you can do it. And you could probably get through. And, and that one area of your life, you could probably make great progress. As I was talking to a brother for service, you know, whenever I hear about past addictions, one of my first questions is this. How long have you been sober? The brother says, four months. I go, man, that's good, four months. And I looked at him, and then he started sharing with me. Well, it's four months now, and then I have a relapse, and up and down, up and down. And that's when I get to look him in the eye. I go, look, bro, I have been sober 28 years by the grace of God. You want to be delivered. You want to be delivered. You've got to let God do the work. You've got to surrender to his power. He'll do it on the inside. He'll pull it out of your life. You don't have to worry about it anymore. He will deliver you by faith and surrender. That's where it's at. And today, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, he will start the work on the inside. It's not the building. It's not the pastor. It's not the teaching. It's the life-giving work of God on the inside. That's what it means to be born again. You're a new creation in Christ. The kind of commitment that you'll be making is like the same exact commitment that a couple makes when they're married. You get all excited about the wedding day. You're prepping and planning. You finally arrive. You exchange your vows. You put your rings on and you say, I do, I do. And there is no question in your mind or anyone else that you have made a covenant and you leave the altar different than when you walked up. You have to. And therefore, therefore, after the covenant, you know what? You begin to live differently. Automatically. You get to learn a little bit of, you know, how to live and how to do it. But you automatically begin to live as a married person. If you don't, you won't be married for long. You know, it's like, but you did. It's like a covenant. You make an agreement and you live differently. Well, imagine that. You make a covenant, but God empowers you to live differently. There's nothing like it on the earth. That's why going backwards doesn't make any sense. Approaching God religiously doesn't make any sense. It's not from him. Jesus Christ, he's the but Christ. At whatever issue in your life, whatever difficulty, it's but Christ. He's the high priest. 
He fulfilled it. He serves the greater, more perfect tabernacle. Don't go backwards to the imperfect. You are perfect in Christ. He entered once for all. It doesn't have to be every year. Jesus did it. It's eternal redemption. And it's so cool. A couple things before we end. Consider this in your holy imagination. As you were bringing your animal in the old covenant, you were bringing your animal to the priest to sacrifice. And you would bring it to the priest. Do you know that the priest would not examine you? The priest would examine the animal. When you brought the animal... The animal needed to be clean without blemish. And once the animal was inspected, then you could offer that animal and that animal's blood would be on your behalf. And so you weren't the ones that were being examined. The animal was. There was no condemnation for the person bringing the animal. You didn't have to account for 365 days of sin. You didn't have to bring a list. You didn't have to bring all the things you struggle with. You just brought the animal and the animal took care of it on your behalf. They were checking out that animal for being without spot and blemish. There was no condemnation. And let me say, today, one of the attacks, the most popular attack of the enemy is to point out all your failures and all your sins and all your weaknesses and all your mistakes and all your fill in the blank. Sometimes we do that to each other. Christians can be some of the most hypercritical, hyperjudgmental people on the earth. Lord, forgive us. Show us mercy. Who are we to be sniffing out sin in other people's lives? May we be agents of grace and love in people's lives because people are messed up. It doesn't matter what sin they're into. Apart from Christ, we're all messed up. Why are we so judgmental? Because when we come to the Father, He doesn't examine us like that. He doesn't point out, you know what, you've got six weaknesses. Come back when you... He doesn't do that. Instead, when we come to the altar, we come to the altar with the Lamb of God and He's the one that's examined. We hide in him. In me, there is no good thing. Can you say that for yourself? In you, there's no good thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, in you, there's no good thing. Say it. Tell somebody. Not everybody's participating. Do it. Do it. That's what the Bible says. Paul said, that's the, so you got, don't make me say something's not in the Bible. I didn't. The Bible says, in me, there is no good thing. Everything redeemable about me is because of Jesus. I owe him my life. I owe him everything. And so do you. So, so here, stay with me. Stay with me. Because it's not just other people. You accuse yourself. Sometimes we blame the devil for things that we do to ourselves. And you can be your own worst critic. And you're the one that says, oh, what a failure I am. Look what a loser I am. You know, sometimes as, as adult, you know, as our kids get older and they start to stray or they make bad decisions, parents carry this great burden. Oh man, I could have done this and I could have done that and I could have and I'm this. And you just start to beat yourself up. You start to carry burdens you were never intended to carry. And you start to hypercritically judge yourself. You start to beat yourself up. You start to condemn yourself instead of looking to the cross. The devil will often, you'll hear things, you're a hypocrite, you're a liar, you're a loser. And what happens? You won't worship anymore. You won't come into his presence. I dare say there is one person at least watching online right now, one person at least on the radio right now that isn't among the company of believers, whether here because this is their church or wherever they go to church, because they are under the weight of condemnation and they believe they don't deserve to be in church. They believe they don't deserve to worship. They believe they don't deserve and they hold themselves back because they'd rather be under the weight of condemnation than pressing in and admitting. Because that voice isn't always condemnation. Sometimes God reveals things into us. It's actually not condemnation at all. It's conviction. 
And remember the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction will lead you toward God. Condemnation will lead you away from God. But the voice, you know, the problem is the voice sounds very similar. (laughs) Dealing with the same stuff in our lives. And so before we go, I want to give you a little list to share with you if you deal with condemnation. Now, I've developed this in a deeper study. So if you go on the app, and there's a section up there. It's a series of studies free from your past. And that's a series you can go through if this is something you deal with. But I want to repeat for the sake of our time today. I want to repeat a few of these things just so you can, you can understand where you are and commit it and surrender it to God. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So when you're in Christ, he's the mediator of a better covenant, a new covenant, one that's not based on performance, one that changes you on the inside. So if you are dealing with condemnation, let me give you a few signs and a few symptoms of a person that deals with condemnation. Ready? Number one, if condemnation is an issue in in your life, you always feel guilty. You always feel guilty. Whether or not you've done anything wrong, you're always feeling guilty. It's heavy and doesn't ever seem to go away. Number two, if you deal with condemnation, you are often motivated by guilt. And what that means is when someone lays a guilt trip on you, you spring into action. And even if someone doesn't lay a guilt trip on you, you turn it into a guilt trip and move on. And you do it because you feel so guilty. And you feel guilty if you don't do it. It's just a shadow over your life. Thirdly, a person that deals with condemnation, listen to this one carefully, is often known as a people pleaser. A people pleaser. What the Bible calls, you live with the fear of man. And you're always worried about what people think about you. And if you do something good, you want appreciation. If you don't get appreciation, you feel bad. Instead of just pleasing the Lord, a person with condemnation is always worried about what people think about them, how people view them. And you're a people pleaser. Any people pleasers in the house say, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just say, make sure you know you're not alone. And then you're like, I'm not saying hey. Well, we know who you are, so don't worry about it. I think there's a little bit of that in all of us, but some more than others. Number four, you deal with uh, condemnation. Number four, you always feel like God is mad at you. You always feel like God's upset. The mistakes you've made are always plaguing you. When you sit down to read your Bible, when you pray, when you're thinking about worshiping, when you're just so burdened by your past mistakes. And so much so that you actually think that God is really, really mad at you and will never accept you because you're so bad. And even if you're good today, you can think of something bad you did yesterday and you're right back into that place. Number one, you always feel guilty. Two, you're motivated by guilt. Three, you're a people pleaser. Four, you feel like God is mad at you. Number five, this is a real common one, you feel like you can never do enough. (laughs) You feel like you can never do enough. You could serve for hundreds of hours. You could read your Bible and pray all night long. You could even do a 40-day, 40-night complete water fast. And at the end, think, I could have done 41 days. And you're just not happy with the end product. And this is a big problem because our culture has actually glorified this particular feeling in a different way. Because we don't often think of, we don't often think I'm never really happy with myself, but let me give you, a, let me give you something to consider. For those of you that are, well, the world has a word for this, and it's the word perfectionism. The perfectionist is never happy with what they do. And they're always trying to improve it. You know, people at work, they are jealous of you. You know, like you'll do a project and you have done it 50 times before you present it to the office. What people don't know is it took you, you changed it 50 times, boom, boom, boom. And even when you bring it to the office, you're still thinking, I should have changed that, I should have changed that. When your whole team is saying, I wish you were on our team, 
we just gave you the project and went to you know, go have some pizza. But you're looking at it going, it's not enough. It's not good enough. I didn't do it good enough. And I could have done that. Oh, look at that mistake. And then you're just so beat up when everybody's happy with what you did. You went over the top. But perfectionism is something that's, you know, some of you might even think, yeah, I'm a perfectionist and I'm happy about it. But it plagues you. Perfectionism is a form of pride. Instead of just being satisfied and content with what you did, you're always unhappy with what you did. And you know, that, that crosses over into your relationship with God where you're never really happy with what God's doing right now. You think he'd do it better, and you could do it better. And so you're gonna, you read an hour, but you got to read two. You read two, you got to read three. You read three, and you know, one of the reasons is because you don't see immediate change. Like a sin is plaguing you, you go, well, I'm going to read the Bible. You read the Bible, and you're still tempted with that same thing. And you go, well, maybe I didn't read enough, so I'm going to read more. And so you read more, and then you're still tempted by the same thing. Well, I didn't read enough. It's all my fault. No. It's that performance doesn't change your heart. Only God changes your heart. And that's the key. So you come to God, and then Bible reading will be a joy to you. And then finally, condemnation is often an issue with people that like to live in the past. And let me clarify, not the good past, but the bad past. You're always looking in the rearview mirror of your sins. The things you've done are always on your mind, even if they were done 25 years ago. You won't forgive yourself. I don't mean that phrase like the world uses it. Forgiving yourself from a biblical perspective, means that you accept the forgiveness of God for your sins. Because those of you that refuse to forgive yourself have actually made yourself a little God in your life. Your unforgiveness is actually become idolatry for you. What, what a person that says, well, I'll never forgive. I know other people are forgive, but I'll never forgive myself. This is what that looks like behind the scenes. What that looks like behind the scenes is simply this. You are saying that if I was God, I would not forgive myself for this sin. So therefore, I will not forgive myself. But what you're doing is, is like, hey, wait a minute. God said he forgave that through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just accept it. But instead you say, I will not accept the forgiveness of God because I will hold it against myself the rest of my life. And just let it go. Let the Lord do a work in your heart. Be free from condemnation. It's not the outward. Hebrews is teaching us, don't go backwards. It's not the outward. God changes. It's the new covenant, not the old covenant. We're in the New Covenant, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. With that wonderfully reassuring truth, we'll conclude today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. Pastor Ed, here we are on Memorial Day. And what comes to your mind on this day we set aside to remember those who have paid the ultimate price for our country? Well, you know, Larry, today's a a solemn day. When I think of Memorial Day, my, my heart immediately goes out to the families that are grieving, that lost a loved one for the freedoms that we get to enjoy. And I'm grateful for those men and women that have stood in the gap for us. And just thinking what Jesus said, you know, there's no greater love Uh, that is demonstrated in someone that would give their life. And I'm grateful for those that have given their life, um, knowing that uh, many of them didn't expect to do that, but were more than willing to. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the families, for the sacrifice, for the freedoms. And just looking forward, when I think of Memorial Day, I, I also think of the return of Jesus and just looking forward for him to return to make all things new. 
and to right every wrong and to see injustice completely eliminated. But until then, for those of you that lost uh, loved ones, family, friends, I want to say thank you. And may we continue to be faithful in everything that God has called us to do. Thank you for that, Pastor Ed. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. This will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Our number again, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.